This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Andrew Lee, CEO of Ticketbox Enterprises LLC, that was acquired by Screen Engine recently. And this episode, we're going to talk about this acquisition. How do you get to this acquisition? What happens to the founder after his or her company gets acquired? And you know who should expect that sort of acquisitions? So, Andrew, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Ticketbox Enterprises. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, a little bit of background on myself. Um, you know, I am originally from you know Seattle. Um, moved to California pretty much when I was like one or two. And so um, so I'm pretty much a Southern California boy. Um, always uh, loved technology. Uh, always very fascinated by it. And um, you know, um, I, I graduated from San Diego State and um, in marketing or integrated marketing communications. But you know, always loved tech. Always loved entertainment. And so, you know, I started my career off at working at a few of the, the major motion picture film studios. And then, um, you know, eventually kind of branched off into my own and, uh, you know, um, you know, worked at a couple of other tech companies, uh, but, you know, always wanted to kind of get back into entertainment uh, with a mixture of technology. So that's kind of how the, um, you know, the idea for Ticketbox came about. And, um, you know, Ticketbox is a software as a solution. Um, marketing and ticketing platform for uh, major motion picture film studios to market and promote their upcoming movies before it's been released. And so um, we've been doing this for, I've been doing this, I started this company about six years ago, five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we work with the, you know, the largest film studios around the world. Um, the platform is used in about um, 20 countries around the world, and um, we are the, the leading advanced movie screening marketing ticketing platform um, in the industry. And as you mentioned, we were recently acquired by the largest research um, or one of the largest research and film um, film firms um, in the country. And, um, you know, re- really happy with, you know, the partnership and, and everything. Right. So I'm curious, you're based in San Diego, but uh, this is an entertainment related startup. So (laughs) you raise money in San Diego or did you actually make hundreds of trips to Los Angeles to raise money? You know, we took a a little bit different approach in terms of raising funds. Um, You know, we uh, we self-funded the company pretty much all by ourselves. Um, you know, we took, um, you know, we put some money in obviously to kind of get things running and, um, you know, we, we kind of modeled it after where, um, you know, we would, you know, go to clients and, you know, try get some commitment, um, uh, before we, you know, kind of got things running. And so that we knew that in the very beginning we could be profitable. And mm-hmm. so while, you know, many other startups and founders, you know, they kind of jump into funding, um, you know, we didn't want to give up a bunch of equity right away. And so, you know, we funded ourselves, kept everything very, very lean. And, um, you know, we're able to target clients that we knew would be profitable in the beginning and, and that we could also replicate and build a very scalable model. And so we didn't go the traditional route in terms of raising funds um, as, as opposed to just kind of doing it internally. Um, and, and obviously in the future, we, you know, we had some other, you know, so-called investors, but they're all private. Uh, we never did anything that was more uh, traditional, so to speak, in terms of going to like your, you know, angels or your VCs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by most of your investors were private? Um, you know, well, when, when we built the business, um, you know, we just had funding from ourselves and we had some other business partners um, that were in the industry. 
and mm-hmm. they participated and they just they basically participated um but we had a great uh we had a great uh business model and a great revenue model and so it, it didn't take a lot of money to, to to get things up and running we kept it very lean and um you know we just basically um you know paid paid what was needed out of our pocket until the, the business was um you know re- really profitable and so that we could operate it and grew it organically that's really interesting i love i love those stories you know calm sort of uh, business growth and then happy ending with the acquisition. But let's talk about yeah. this beginning where you were actually struggling to get those first customers. How did you manage to acquire your very first, I know, five customers? Did you actually go out and uh, knock on the doors of studios that might have been interested in using your uh, software or do you really have any contacts in that industry? How, how did you get those customers? I would say it was a combination. We had some, uh, we had some good connections. I worked in the film industry, so I knew a few of the players. But I mean, I was, I was nowhere near like a, you know, this high-profile executive that kind of had a big name. I was just, I was just some random person. I mean, no one would really know who I was. But yeah, we had, we had a few connections that kind of brought us in. Um, and you know, once kind of one jumped on, um, you know, the strategy was to get a, a really big studio. And, um, you know, once we got our first big client, um, everyone else just kind of started falling along and, um, you know, it, it worked out really well. You know, we focused on obviously building great technology, um, and having good relationships with clients and, you know, being transparent and promising them what we were going to do for them. And so I think a lot of it was obviously trust, um, authenticity on my end, as well as all the other people on our team. And, um, that really helped us kind of grow the company. We, we brought a lot of uh, genuineness to um, the table. And, um, and, and like you said, you know, because we weren't from Los Angeles, uh, we were, you know, based in San Diego. Um, I think it, you know, it, it kind of, um, it was a little bit different because, you know, a lot of the vendors and um, technology companies they use are typically, you know, LA and New York. We were mm-hmm. kind of this random company out in San Diego and it, um, you know, I think, uh, it had a, had a good vibe to it and, um, it worked out really well, but, you know, relationships was a big part of the, of the business. Right, absolutely. So, you know, I've seen a lot of startups saying like, yeah, we just need this one big client and then we're golden. But I'm telling them usually, but how, how are you going to acquire that huge client, you know, that you're dreaming of? Some of them saying uh, like, oh, yeah, we're planning to acquire Bank of, I mean, not acquire, but get as a customer Bank of America or Chase. And I'm like, wait, what? Are you, are you seriously expecting that? And how, so how did you manage to get a big customer like uh, that, that, allowed you to acquire much more smaller customers later on? You know, we took a different approach in terms of just like, um, you know, we, how do I explain this? Like, we never, um, you know, we wanted to go after one big client, I think from a visual optic standpoint, because it goes like, oh, that person's working with, you know, Sony or whoever, right? And they're like, well, that's a really big client and you know, it'll give you a lot of, you know, press or whatever but i think i think the the big part of it was making sure we did a good job because even if you get a one really big client if you do a not so great job i mean you're gonna you're gonna turn and burn real quickly and so for us um you know i think we we respected all our clients whether they were big or small and everybody was treated um you know equally and making sure that um you know they got exactly what we promised them and so, you know, that, I think that allowed us to get, you know, big customers, but also, um, I don't want to call them small, but so-called, you know, more specialty um, customers. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it allowed us to really um, just, like I said, going back to being genuine, we were, we were just, we were trying to build a great technology, a great, um, a great software that um, all the studios could use. And, um, and, and it worked out very well. That's great. That's great. 
And now let's talk about finding co-founders. So a lot of startup founders, especially early stage, who have never never built startups before, especially young people, by the way, struggle with this. So a lot of them are asking me, like, how, how do I find a co-founder and when when is the right time to find that co-founder and where can I find that co-founder? So how do you... Um, you know, yeah, I mean, my, my opinion with co-founders... I, you know, and I went through a lot. I went through I went through the phases where I had a co-founder in the very beginning, uh, where we didn't really have an idea. I've, I've had co-founders where we had an idea and it didn't really work out. Um, and so, like, I got to go through and bur- get burned a few times or whatever. But I think the best way, and this was the most recent time, the best way to go about finding co-founder is, you know, flush out what you want to do personally as a business uh, when you're starting up. Like, set like a a, a baseline. And, um, you know, and, and a foundation to what you want to ultimately do. I think from there, then you can start looking for co-founders, which is what I did. I, I had, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I knew exactly how I wanted the company to be structured, what type of, you know, what type of equity and, and all that stuff. And then from there, you're able to kind of tailor and figure out which co-founders make the most sense because every co-founder is very different. Some co-founders want half your business. Some co-founders want a small percentage. Some co-founders want a, you know, a, a very small percentage or a significant mm-hmm. amount. And so I think once you've figured out the foundation of it, um, you can then be transparent, full disclosure. And so you set the right expectations. What I see a lot of the times that founders make a mistake on is that they go in and not showing what they want to do and they grab a bunch of, let's go do a bunch of stuff. And then all of a sudden, if they're, um, if they're expecting like to give them very little equity and that co-founder has, was expecting a lot of equity, all of a sudden it gets awkward and they were kind of involved and it's hard to cut ties. Whereas, um, you know, and, you know, whereas if you kind of set the right expectations, have a plan for it and then start reaching out, I think that's the, that's the best way to, to do it from a structural standpoint in terms of where to find them. You know, that's, that's a hard one. I mean, um, my co-founder came from a previous, company that I worked at and mm-hmm. so we had some working we had some work experience together and, and it worked out very well so if you have that opportunity I think that's a great choice just because you get to see kind of what happens uh, what I would avoid is you know trying to do something with somebody you don't really know um, obviously from like just a, a basic meetup I would definitely vet them make sure who they are get to know them over time it could take a year it could take six months it could take a couple of years but I think it takes time to kind of get to know somebody um, I would avoid family and friends as much as you can, um, just because, you know, business is hard, man. I mean, it's very, it's very emotional. Things go wrong. And, you know, the people that are, you know, they're truly there for you are the ones there for you when things don't go well. You know, when things are going fine and the parties and the music's blasting, everyone's, you know, pumping their, their hands up and, you know, and fist pumping and, and having a good time. But when things go bad, that's when you really need a great co-founder to be there for you. And, um, you know, my co-founder has been there for me, you know, through, through thick and thin, um, and, and through the hard times and as well as the great, and, and as well as the good times. Uh, but I think it's very important that, you know, you get somebody that can, um, be there for, you know, those really challenging times. And not only that too, having somebody that you've worked with in the past, like you, you're, you're friends, but you're not like homies. You know what I mean? You're not like, you know, you're not hanging out every weekend. And I think that's a good, separation with you know the co-founders because you know if you do with friends and family like you might have to go to a family reunion where you see them you might have to go to a family gathering where you see them and whereas like you know where you have a little bit of gap i think there's a lot more respect um people are more cognizant of like 
making sure that they're, they're doing the right thing respectfully uh, versus, you know, family and friends sometimes, unfortunately, take, take advantage of that. And um, or it's just, you know, it's um, it's just a very emotional thing. And, and business, business is always going to go up and down. It's not going to have a upward trajectory, even if your numbers are you know flying upwards or whatever. There's a lot of really hard things that happen in between there to make it look like that. And so I think that um, you really got to vet somebody. You have to um, you got to interview them um, informally. Like and for me, I mean, I even I had my uh, I had my wife even meet my co-founder and was like, hey, I need you to kind of gauge this guy. And, um, you know, she, um, she they got along really well. She liked them. And she said, you know, he's, he's a great person. So I would think um, and it's important, too. I mean, when you when you're starting a business, especially in the startup phase. You know, it's really hard. No, no sane person really wants to do this. To be honest, because um, so many things go wrong, and and, pe- and people, normal people, would say, you know, forget this, I give up. But I think, you know, if you find the right co-founder that can understand the expectations and your um, your temperament or your um, the the way that you work, um, you're going to have a really great time building the business, if if it's going really really well or if it's going to go down. And I think that it makes it, you know, if you have a bad business that's going down and you have a great co-founder, like that's something that's going to be there for you. And, and vice versa, when the business is going really well, they're not going to get greedy towards the end or, you know, they're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to be there for you. They're going to work through everything. And, um, you know, you're going to have a much enjoyable time and be much happier with the end result. Right, right. So finding a co-founder is actually important. And I, I totally agree with you on that, that it requires time. No one can find a great co-founder, you know, in a couple of weeks, but finding a mentor might be as important as finding a co-founder because mentors can give you <clears throat> wonderful introductions. They can actually help you find co-founder. They can help you build a team. They can introduce you to the investors, to the clients, etc., etc. So cool. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes mentors are more important than investors actually. So have you, found any uh mentors for yourself while you were building ticket box yeah i would have um you know i had in more informal mentors like you know i never labeled them as like hey a mentor but they, I, I had a i have a group of people that i can call or um text or just kind of have a conversation about and uh yeah they're, they're very important for sure um you know from a financial and sometimes they're a, a capital resource but also from an experience and they give you a lot of perspective that you may not see. And sometimes your co-founder is a mentor and, um, and your co-founders are, are the mentors or whatever, even though you're leading the charge. But, um, you know, the, I would say mentors are, are obviously very important. They're hard to find. Um, for me, it just happened to be my board and, um, and some other family and friends uh, or friends of friends or whatever. Uh, but, you know, they were able to kind of help me guide how I wanted. Ultimately, you know, I would, come up with my own um, solution, but having different perspectives allows you to see the blind spots. And yeah. I think, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, go charging in a business and they're not always looking over their shoulder. And so uh, when you have mentors, you know, they're, they're not in their day to day. And so um, they're looking at the macro of it, whereas you're, you may be looking at the micro of it. And I think um, by having those people, they, they've helped me a lot in my career towards the, the end of the acquisition and even before that and building up the business. That way it was, it, you know, it, that way they had a lot of perspective that I may have not had without them. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. Uh, and now that leads me to the topic of 
successful founders as a source of capital and advice. So do you, as uh, as an ex-founder, as a successful ex-founder, uh, do you invest as an angel investor or do you do any sort of advisory uh, work for, for other startups? Um, absolutely, yeah. I, um, you know, I'm, I would say, fairly active in the angel um, in investing. Um, you know, I would say, um, you know, I, I've invested into companies, I would say that I, be, one, I believe in, you know, from a moral, ethical standpoint, but two, just from, you know, how it's going to make an impact in our world. And um, I would say that, you know, it's, um, I, 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 I'm always looking for companies to work with that want to, you know, want to grow and succeed. And I say that only because, you know, the startup business, Uh, the startup world the industry is very unique now it's um you know being a entrepreneur is cool as it was when like years back if you wanted to be cool it was like be a doctor you know what i mean and doctors <laughs> were driving for ferraris and you know yeah. r8s and stuff like that you know whereas now it's like it's really cool to be um a a um you know a startup founder or whatever right but right. what comes with that is a bunch a bunch of what i call phonies you know people that they're, they're doing it with no real intention because They've raised a ton of money, so it doesn't matter anymore if they succeed or not. It's just another job to them, or they're just kind of going through the motions because it's um, either it's either this or just getting a regular job, you know. And so I think that um, you know when I invest, I mean, I'm looking for founders that genuinely want to succeed, um, and not just by financially, but they want to succeed in terms of growth. They want to make a difference. They want to make an impact on others. And, uh, and, and that, that really, um, that really encourages me to help out, um, mm -hmm. because I, you know, I see, I see myself in them, um, obviously much younger, but I think that, you know, with that, it, it's, it's really cool to see that all over again. It's like, a having like a, like a, a little kid that's super excited that hasn't done this before, but has a real authenticity of wanting to succeed versus, you know, um, some kid going, well, I'm just going to do it because it's cool right now. Um, uh, but I'm on to the next thing later. And they're not ready to fall fall on the sword, and then they'll jump off the ship whenever. And so, when I'm investing, I'm looking for the I'm looking for those kinds of people that really want to just build a great company, um, be very successful, and um, and and always, you know, wanting to help others, uh, regardless of um, you know if it's a competitive thing or just if it's time is tough or whatever. You know, I think I think you definitely want to give back to people. Um, I've had a lot of founders. That have helped me in the very beginning and feedback, and I want to, you know, I want to reciprocate the same. Whether it's whether it's from a mentor standpoint or whether it's from a financial standpoint. Right, right. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that, and I think that's pretty popular for successful founders to actually try to give back to earlier stage founders. And this is, I guess, one of the reasons why you're here on this podcast because a lot of my listeners are early stage startup founders, and they just. You know, they need guidance. And what would yeah. be your advice to those early stage founders, by the way? So, for example, what would you tell yourself uh, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself right before you started uh, Ticketbox? You know, I would tell start founders that, you know, don't get too much into the hype of like, I'm just going to raise money right away. Mm -hmm. I think that that has become such a um, mainstream thing that people think it's like, that's what you're supposed to do. I think that when you're building a business and a startup, you know, do it as organically as as much as you can, because that's what we did. And uh, when we got down to the acquisition, obviously there was a, it's a great benefit because we didn't, we, you know, we didn't have to sell off, you know, right. 98% of our company just to do it. Because I don't think what people realize that when they raise money, they, <laughs> there's like this whole feeling that as if they had succeeded. And when yeah. you raise money, 
you don't succeed. You just have had a group of people that believed in what your pitch was. And now you've just lost, you know, 20, 30% of your company. So you didn't win anything. You actually lost, meaning that you have money that was basically um, given to you under a condition that you give them equity. And depending on the terms, like you might not even see that money for two years because you didn't perform at a certain level. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, in terms of advice, I would also, you know, if you can get a really great um, lawyer that doesn't cost you a ton of money um, and, and you can do some online research to kind of mitigate um, the amount of, um, you know, questionnaireing with them, I think that would be very valuable because, you know, I, I had to kind of go in and do trial by error on a lot of different things. And you know what? I got very lucky on a few things, um, you know, unlucky on other things, uh, but I had great co-founders and I got great mentor, great mentors that have been through it. Um, and so I didn't really get burned that often, but I see a lot of my, you know, friends are in the startup business where, you know, they're not paying attention. They're just excited to just like get around the funding and do it. Not realizing yeah. that, um, you know, not all investors are equal. Some investors um, are really um, genuinely nice and they want to help your business out and they're super cool. Some other investors, they don't really care. They're just, uh, it's a money play for them. They throw out the money. They have these really intense terms. And if you don't read them and you don't understand them, like it's, uh, it's just not going to work out. And, and so I would say this, you know, to, to your audience, like make sure you um, read everything and understand as best your ability because you can't rely on other people to, you can't rely on just a lawyer to make those decisions for you. Like you need them to help you out to explain it. Uh, but you also need to understand it to a certain level so that you can make the best decision for yourself because business decisions are very different than like uh, uh, legal decisions. You know, uh, business decisions is making sure that, you know, you're, you're making the, um, the best overall decision for the business as a whole from an economical standpoint with respect to legal, but also that doesn't, hinder your um, ability to succeed. And I think that's where the, um, I think, you know, it, it's um, don't get, you know, don't, don't always try to jump and get investor because you need money right away. The money is everywhere. You know what I mean? So to speak. And you just need to find the right people to work with. And, um, and if you have a great business, it, sh- it, it, it should generate money. And, and all you need to do is keep it lean. You know, when I started the business, I didn't have a fancy office like a bunch of my other friends did. You know, I had, a, I think it was like 150 square foot office that was being shared by like another business that was never there. So they basically just subleased it to me. And, right. you know, we, and we, um, you know, it was drive up. It had no front desk. There was no concierge. It was nothing. And, um, you know, we bought, we bought used computers. Um, we had oh, decent Wi-Fi. And, um, and I had a cell phone bill that wasn't that expensive, you know? And so, you know, we, um, and, and, you know, I, I could have just gone out and raised two or $300,000 start the business and then have, you know, a nice $5,000 a month office or whatever it is. And then, you know, a brand new desk and computers and this and that, but you know what? I, uh, I kept it lean. I, I bought used stuff. I, um, you know, I, I, I didn't have the most expensive things and uh, I made sure that it was lean so that when we got to that point, we, we knew how to, um, we knew how to operate the business. And, you know, and, and one thing I will say that the other big part of it too, I don't care what anybody tells you or what anybody says, cash flow, cash and cash flow is king in a business. So I've seen businesses just get destroyed where they, they're so-called making a lot of money, but they don't get paid till like never or way later. 
And so they can't run payroll. They can't um, pay for certain things. They have no leverage with vendors. I'll tell you right now, uh, when you're working with, whether you have a B2B software business or a B2C software business, you know, make sure that, you know, you have figured out strong cash flow because strong cash flow will allow you to um, manage and time when things need to be paid. And, um, and it will also allow you to give leverage to get discounts and everything else. And so, um, you know, make sure you're fully optimizing credit cards and how your bank does and when you're doing payroll. And if you're a co-founder and you are creating yourself a salary, like maybe you pay yourself once a month or once every two months or once every three months and um, you live very lean. Like you, you figure that stuff out because a lot of people don't figure it out and they kind of just roll by and, and hope that like an account will figure it out for them. Like you need to understand that very, very well, because I would say that's one of the strengths of our, our, our businesses was that having really strong cash flow so that, um, you know, because you're, you're going to get into a bad situation one quarter. And if you have that um, security blanket, um, you can, you know, go through the storm, just like especially with everything going right now with like COVID-19, the companies that were, you know, cash strapped or whatever. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling versus the one that kind of saved up their money or whatever on their balance sheets. And when things go bad, where they had to, you know, furlough people, this and that, or they had bills paid, but they didn't have, they don't have clients paying, um, for, for revenue, whatever the case be, they have that cash to kind of protect them. And I think that's very important because if you have really bad cash flow and you have great business, you're still going to fail. And if you can't pay your employees, you can't pay other people, no one's going to help you out, unfortunately. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's um, so I started bringing those successful founders uh, to tell about their success stories, you know, because I got a couple complaints saying that the content that I'm producing is too dark. And I mean, clearly it got even darker, damn it. <laughs> the more I tell <laughs> successful startup founders, the darker it gets. I cannot help it. It's founders who say those words, not me. OK, so whoever was talking, uh, whoever thinking that. It's my fault. It's not. It's just startup world is tough. And I'm glad, Andrew, that you uh, got into the legal side, into the cash flow side, because it's really important. It requires planning. It requires you know, a lot of thoughts and planning. Planning is the key here, I think. And, um, yeah. you know what, uh, let's, and by the way, the legal side, I think you've mentioned that it's really important because one of my recent uh, speakers got a lawsuit from California because early on he forgot, he decided, you know, I'm not going to buy this insurance because it's just too expensive. And then he just forgot about it for a couple of years. And in those couple of years, the lawsuit became really massive from California. He was lucky enough to negotiate it down and it ended up well. He His company got acquired, but the story remains, you know, uh, he got lucky, but it might not work for you. So be sure to, to cover up the legal side as well. So here, I think we will wrap it up. But before we wrap it up, I want to make sure that we wrap it up on a positive note. So let's just quickly touch on to your acquisition. How was it? How did it feel like? And, you know, how, how did it happen? You know, did you get uh, a call and uh, you were at, they said, like, hey, we want to buy your company? Or how did this happen? You know, for us, um, you know, going back to the, you were talking about the, the dark and the pause, I will say this, um, you know, it's for every 10 bad things that happen, uh, you know, and, and the one great thing, it, it, it supersedes it like a thousand percent. And so, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't, you know, for, for, for the people that are starting business, like, yes, it, it's hard. 
you know what I mean? And, you know, no sane person will probably want to do this. Um, you know, it's, and it's hard on, you know, on your family, your friends and just everybody. But I will say that, you know, when, when you, when you start seeing the fruits of your labor, it is so rewarding. It makes you happy. I smell every day. And, um, you know, I have kids now and it just makes it even more so like, I'm, I'm super, I'm just super thrilled that, um, even though it was extremely hard, I've, I'm sure I've lost years of my life. It, it's definitely been more rewarding than ever because I would regret it if I didn't at least try. Um, in terms of the, you know, the acquisition, um, you know, we, uh, we focused on building a great company that was, uh, you know, profitable and that was, you know, uh, that was technologically advanced. And so we, you know, we've always had unsolicited, um, you know, um, people come towards us with, you know, offers and so forth. And, um, you know, we, we, we went the more traditional route. We, we hired a, an investment banker and they kind of put us through a process. And I would say, I would highly recommend that if, um, if you think that, you know, you can go and do it yourself. Um, I would compare it this way. If you own your house and your neighbor tries to buy your house, they're probably going to pay you less because you don't have a real estate agent. And two, um, you're not packaged ready to be sold, so to speak, right? Uh, whereas if you hire an investment banker, you know, they put you through like almost like a boot camp. They get you ready. They package you up and, um, they make sure that, you know, you, they, they find the, the right acquirer because, you know, an acquisition comes in many ways in terms of it being, you know, sold or it's a, a partnership of such or it's a business deal, but people use the word acquisition. And so I would say, you know, the, the investment bankers really help you kind of get through that um, from an emotional standpoint, from a valuation standpoint, from a um, just process standpoint and negotiating, uh, because, you know, the, the, the M&A world is very, very hard. Um, I would say I probably had a little bit easier in terms of the, um, the process for it. But, you know, a lot of my friends that went through their acquisitions, I mean, some of them were very, very like sharks. You know, they were very, very tough. And mm -hmm. so by having a banker, I think will allow, ha, will allow them to really kind of emotionally be ready for it. Um, not take things too personal, uh, but also be in control on what will happen in terms of expectations and how to execute it. Um, and that's, and, and, and here's the thing during the M&A process, it's super exciting. I mean, you go in there and you're like, wow, you know, you're going to, you're going to get acquired. Obviously there's, um, you know, there's, uh, financial and economic parts of it that are very involved and you know they they ask a lot of questions and and you know it's super exciting because you see the lies at the end of the tunnel i'll tell you this right now a lot of people i know that didn't have a banker or didn't go through the right process or they just hired just a lawyer to do it for them because lawyers will tell you they can do it um i don't believe that they they're involved in the process but they can't do the whole thing and so you know they and they, and they you know i think I just, i've seen a lot of deals fall through and it's crazy because you've got these you know, $100 million deals, and it just falls through. And all of a sudden, you're like, Oh, I, I was about to make $100 million. Now I'm making nothing. And, and, it, and it really sucks. You know what I mean? So like, I think that, um, you know, having the right pieces and parts to it will really help you succeed. Uh, because they put you in the process, you have the right people involved from a legal standpoint, from a facilitator standpoint, a process standpoint. And it doesn't make you look like the bad guy if things don't go well, because a lot of like I was telling the business, there's so many things that go wrong, um, you know, and by um, working with people that you trust um, and putting into the right process, uh, you know, you'll be mentally prepared for the worst outcome and the best and the best outcome. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. And as an 
person who is majoring in investment banking, I totally agree that you should just hire an investment banker. You know, we, we know tons of stuff that's regular, you know, mortals, they don't, they just don't know this because it's useless, boring information. <laughs> but I'm just kidding, of course. But we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Andrew, for coming up. And thanks for covering the darker sides. I love when my speakers talk about the downsides of the startup yeah. world. I really think that it's a bit overhyped. It's not as easy as you read in the media. You know, uh, media will not uh, talk about hundreds of thousands of people who just struggle heavily. But yeah. Andrew, thanks, thanks for talking about that. I really appreciate. It. I think there was a lot of great advice here today, and I hope that early early founders who are listening to this right now will will actually hear that advice and use it in their lives. So we'll wrap it up. Thanks a lot and stay safe out there. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you so much.